The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Let me do this. Let me take 35 seconds and try to summarize where we were last week and where we ended up so that we can build on that this week, all right? So last week, we had just a few primary things we wanted to share. The first thing was you never marry the right person for two reasons. Number one, because marriage profoundly changes us. And we talked through that. And then secondly, we said, you never marry the right person because everybody who gets married is profoundly affected by sin. And so we ended last week with this one statement. And the statement was, um, if you would just do what Jesus did for you, for your spouse, and everything else will follow. And so we were in chapter 5, verse 31 and 32 last week in Ephesians 5. And so we're going to roll all the way back to verse 21 today. And uh, we're going to start at the beginning. And Paul is really going to build his argument. We kind of started in a, in a reverse way. We went to the end. Now we're going to go back to the beginning. And today is going to build on where we ended last week. And so Paul's going to share a very important principle for all of our relationships, not just marriage. And so what I want to do today is I want to summarize that principle. And then I want to give you one question at the end. I don't want to do it now. Let me build up until we get near the end today. And I just simply want to pose one question to you that I believe if you would just ask this question every day in your marriage, every day in your relationship, not just in your marriage, with your job, with your employees, with your neighbors, with your friends, I really believe it has the power to transform our relationships. So let me do this. I want to pray for us. And then we're going to jump right into the scriptures together. Jesus, you, um, God, thank you for today. We don't take it for granted. It's never happened before. This day will never happen again. And so, God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you would speak to us today in your scripture. Um, God, we confess today that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edges, so we're piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And, God, you promise us in your word that when it does so, God, all things and all things and all things and all things will be open and bare before the eyes of you with whom we have to live. And so, God, we ask that of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, we need your help. Everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen, amen. Hey, um, you know, I've not really, I'm honestly, as a pastor, I don't like marriage series. I don't like dating series. I don't like relationship series. Um, A couple people that were leading this morning were actually grew up in our student ministry uh, back in Atlanta. And they know in nine years with them, I only did two relationship series and I I don't like them, but I I found that they have a profound impact. And uh, so because of that, I've probably never really told you a lot about my dating relationship with my wife. Um, so when I was in seminary, she was in college. Um, I had a friend, she had been dating a guy for three years and they broke up and his best friend tried to introduce me to Laura. I'm like, hold up, man. I, I, I think you may have just broke some kind of code. All right. Um, and by the way, she's single, you're single. And why don't you, if you're not interested, I'm not interested. So no, thank you. All right. But anyways, he, he, he um, negotiated and navigated and it ended up where myself and my wife, Laura, um, and him and my roommate, a couple other people, we all went to uh, this wing place and we watched NCAA basketball. And that was sort of like, the, hey, no strings, no, nothing, nothing, no commitment here. I just want you to meet her. And so we went to this restaurant. Uh, we had wings. We watched basketball. I kid you not, we may have said two sentences to each other. <laughs> and when I left, I called my buddy later. I'm like, dude, no thanks, man. I'm totally not interested. 
interested in Laura, okay? So I appreciate you trying. It's not going to work out. And uh, two weeks later, Laura calls me. Uh, she got my number from him because I didn't give her my number. And, um, and, and she calls and she's like, hey, um, I'm having some people over to my house tonight, my, my apartment. Would love for you to come over if you, uh, if you don't have plans tonight. And I'm like, uh, no, I'm not really interested. But as a single college uh, seminary student um, who either lives on Chick-fil-A or Taco Bell, I'm like, homemade meal? This will be, okay, I'll just, I'm going for the meal. <laughs> so I show up. And here's what I found. This girl I wasn't, I wasn't interested in. I'm watching her. She's cooking this meal. Look, I, I got to be honest with you. I come from the South. There is something extraordinarily sexy about a woman who can sling a pan of grits, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> or quinoa, whatever your preference, you know. <laughs> and I'm watching her. She's making this meal for everybody. And like she's walking around and she's serving everybody. What can I get for you? Are you comfortable? You need something to drink? And I'm just watching her. She's the last one to eat. I mean, she's making sure everybody um, has their needs met. I gotta be honest with you. I wasn't attracted to Laura before I got there that night. And I found her to be so hot that night. It was unbelievable. And I stayed after the meal. I literally stayed after the meal. Just her and I and her mom happened to be in town and her roommates. I sat down at a table and we talked for two hours straight. It was unbelievable. And here's why I think I was initially attracted to Laura. Because I watched her serve people. Um, that's not pastor talk. That's not like Mr. Spiritual. Oh, yeah. No, legitimately, I watched her serve people, and it was so attractive to me. Now, Laura and I don't have the, the best marriage on the planet. This series is not based on mine and Laura's marriage. God help us if it was. Um, but, but we have a good marriage. But this is what I know about marriage. Any marriage that's going to be successful and happy and holy and joyful will be a marriage where two people put each other's needs before the other. And that's difficult to do in marriage. If you're married, you're like, amen, Pastor Matt. It's difficult. It's difficult to do, and here's why. Here is what we're going to build on today. We have to understand this. This is countercultural, it's counterintuitive, but this is foundational to what the scripture is going to lead us into. And the reason why serving each other's needs is so difficult is because the primary enemy in any marriage is self-centeredness. The primary enemy in any marriage is self-centeredness, and it causes it to be so difficult to have a happy, joyful marriage. But listen to me. If you're single today, you're like, oh good, I'm off the hook. Um, no, no, no. Self-centeredness is not a married problem, y'all. Self-centeredness is a single problem. Marriage only reveals it. That's all it does. And so after you get married and the, uh, the infatuation wears off and, and, and all of a sudden, like, okay, this is real work, then you begin to realize, oh my gosh, there's something so bad about my spouse that Jesus had to die for them, right? And, and, and so the, the thought is, if Jesus had to die for them to fix their problem, it's probably going to cause us a little bit of irritation too, right? And so this morning, in Ephesians chapter 5, in Ephesians chapter 5, we're, we're going to read through a few verses together, 
And the question we got to ask ourselves, is it even possible to submit to one another when our problem is so significant and so severe and we're so self-centered? So if you have a Bible, um, just follow with me over a few verses here in Ephesians chapter 5, all right? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And the scripture says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, um, hold on. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, this is your wives' verse, not uh, your verse. Uh, Stay out of your wives. Wives business, you've got a verse later, okay? Wives, submit to your own husbands and as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, here's your verse. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul begins into this argument, and, and actually, if you have a Bible this morning, um, and your Bible will, will, um, will separate headings out, probably the heading um, for this marriage passage is probably going to start in verse 22, but here's the thing. Paul starts out in verse 21, and he ta- tells us to be subject to one another, and so Paul's um, uh, message here, his idea in verse 21 is not actually the beginning of his thoughts on marriage. It's actually tied all the way back to verse 18 when he gives this command to be filled with the Spirit. Then in verse 19 and verse 20, he gives all these ways to be filled by the Spirit. And then he says in verse 21, which is tied to verse 18, um, be subject to one another. So there's this foundational idea that submitting to one another and serving one another is uh, the precursor to all of that is being a person who is filled by the Spirit of God. And so we've got this word in verse 21 that we come to, and we see this word submit. It's a very strong word. Um, It gives us this, it's a military term. It's a military idea of a person who is submitting themselves to an officer. You, you, You understand this, even if you're not in the military. When you join the military, you give up significant rights that you have that you would um, have if you were not in the military, right? Like, like you give up your right to know when you're going to eat, where you're going to live, when you're going to leave. And the reason why we give up our rights in that scenario is because in order to be in unison, in unity to a greater purpose, to a greater whole, to a body that functions in one direction, then we just have to give up a lot of our own self-interest, a lot of our own ideas of what we want life to be. And so we know this, the ability to do that, the ability to give up my rights and my desires, to give up myself for another person, to serve somebody else's interests ahead of your own, to defer my desires to help somebody else, that's just not instinctive, right? Like, like that's one of the most unnatural things we do is to Um, is to uh, suppress ourselves for the advancement of somebody else, right? You probably know this best if you've ever had a roommate at any point in time in your life, right? Um, I've had a lot of roommates uh, in college and seminary, and uh, there was this one particular um, experience that I had roommates. I won't say their name in case they listen to the podcast. But um, And so I had this one roommate who loved to cook chicken wings. And strangely, he, he loved to cook them in like this Hooters wing sauce. And I, I always thought that was strange because we were in seminary at the time. And like, nothing against Hooters. Like if you love Hooters wings, great. I just always felt like as a pastor, like that feels weird. Like I'm eating Hooters chicken wings, right? And so. 
and so, so he, he would love to cook these wings in the sauce. And when he would finish cooking his wings, he would leave the frying pan in the sink for like three or four days. I'm like, what? Like, I'm a clean freak. I like things to be orderly, nice, clean, not messy. To me, I'm like, this, man, you got to get it together, bro. Um, another time, I had another roommate. And uh, because of him, we had fruit flies in our house. Not just like, like a few fruit flies, like an army of fruit flies, right? Like, like they were flying out the window with remotes and pillows. Like, like there were so many fruit flies in our apartment. I'm just, I'm gagging every time I come in the apartment. And we looked and we looked for like, like weeks. And what had happened was he left a lunch bag underneath his desk with all his other trash and fruit flies just appeared in our apartment. Like for, a, for a clean person, for a neat freak, for a germaphobe like me, I'm like, dude, you're infringing on my rights, right? And so we understand this idea of suppressing ourselves for the benefit of others. But in a roommate situation, right, like, like we give a little bit, we learn how to compromise, um, we think of our own interests, they think of theirs. You figure it out, you work it out. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus walks into the apartment and he says, I'm going to think of your interest not mine. And Jesus walks onto the scene and he demonstrates this idea of submitting himself to the Father. He's not doing anything he didn't ask us to do. We see this demonstrated in the Trinity. Jesus voluntarily submitted himself to the Father. He laid aside his glory. He laid aside his own comfort. And here's the thing. When Jesus did so, it was not an assault against his dignity. It did not somehow imply that Jesus was inferior to the Father because he submitted to the Father. It wasn't beneath him. And if it wasn't beneath Jesus to willingly submit to another who was his equal, then it's not beneath us as well. So in the Trinity, all, all of the members desire to please one another and to serve one another. And they're lifting each other up. And here's what we find in Scripture. When Jesus took the low place, he shed himself of his own glory and his own power. What scripture tells us in Philippians 2.9 is that therefore God exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. There's an important principle that's at play here. Is that, is that God takes responsibility to exalt those who humble themselves. God takes responsibility to exalt those who humble themselves. We find it again in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, which is one of my favorite verses. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at the proper time. It's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive to how we naturally think, to how the world operates, to how we operate in our business, in our jobs, on our teams. It's totally counterintuitive when Scripture says the way up is to go down. The way up is to go down. And, and here's what we find. Here's what we find. Humility and seeking the interest of our spouse. It's, it's not just a principle that's applied to our marriages, y'all. It's not just a principle like, like God arbitrarily said, okay, um, just in this one specific circumstance and scenario. When two people decide to live together, now you got to figure out how to submit to each other. No, no. Scripture says this is a principle for all of life. Philippians 2 verse 2 and 4 says, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each to the interest of the others. You know, this is how our staff operates, by the way. 
Um, there's three pastors on our staff. Um, all have an equal voice, and we've chosen willingly to submit ourselves to each other. That's how we operate as a staff. There have been times when I was very passionate about something I wanted to see happen. In their wisdom, Tyler and Craig would say to me, I think of a very one specific circumstance. I don't think this is the right time. I think we need to give it some more time. I think there's wisdom in waiting. And i got to be honest, in the moment, I was like, this, this, this is what I want to do. But, but we've decided but that we're going to operate this way, that we submit to each other and we do it joyfully. We look after each other's interest as a form of accountability and wisdom to the body itself. And so what we did is we delayed what we were going to do. Several weeks later, we had the event, we had the moment, and after the event and after the moment, I looked back and I said, you know what, you guys were exactly right. You had the best interest of this whole thing in mind. And, and can I tell you this? Um, this isn't even in my notes, but I want to say this. When you have relationships like that, you will do anything in the world for them. There is a trust between our three pastors. Literally, you can check my bank account. I, don't, I, I can trust you with my wife, my kids. I trust you because we have demonstrated that we will willingly submit ourselves to one another. And so this is not just a principle for marriage, it's a principle for all of life. It's a principle for love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 and 5. Love is patient, it does not envy, it's kind, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. I, 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 the long story, I can't tell you what the story is, but, I, but I, I preached this message to my wife in an auditorium the night before I was going to interview for a job. Um, she wasn't my wife, she was my girlfriend. I had said, look, I want to pursue you towards marriage. And I told her the day I asked her that I wanted to pursue her, I said, Laura, I will never tell you that I love you. I will never use the word love until the day I ask you to marry me. Why? Because love has this connotation that oftentimes men will use as this bartering tactic to get what we want. In a lot of ways, the word love is self-seeking in and of itself until it genuinely demonstrates that there is a commitment there. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. The, the description of love is the opposite of pursuing our own interest. So we get this idea that submission to one another, serving one another, is, is not just a marriage principle, it's a principle for all of life. But, but here's the thing, if you're married, you innately understand this. It somehow seems that in marriage, um, in marriage, it feels like this idea of submission gives more fuel for fighting power, right? Like even in verse 22 itself. Verse 22 is such a highly, it's such a highly touchy verse. No doubt it's been used to suppress women. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband. Like, like even as a pastor in a city like Los Angeles, like, I'm like, oh, great, i got to preach this verse today, right? Like because we, oh, man, that's such an archaic understanding of how marriage works. But here's the deal. Submission to husbands, is, it, it's, it, all it is is a specific application given to a follower. Submission doesn't make less of you. It makes you more like Christ than what he did. And then we get to verse 25. And what men like to point to in verse 22, now wives, we get the opportunity to point to in verse 25. Yeah, but husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. So this idea that both husband and wife give ourselves up for one another. The husband lays down his wife. The wife serves her husband. And it just seems like this principle is so much harder in marriage than any other sphere of life. Just think about it for a moment. Just think about it. Think about your day off. <laughs> 
Think about your day off and the tension that can happen in those moments. Like, I just want to veg. She wants, she, like, like, if your wife is at home, she's, uh, uh, she lives at home with the kids. Like, like, the day off can be a moment of tension. Think about, think about um, watching TV, right? You want to watch Walking Dead. She wants to watch Downton Abbey, right? Like, like there's just moments where you're like, okay, something's got to give because I'm not watching Downton Abbey. I'm just going to go upstairs and read, right? Like, there, it seems like in the sphere of marriage, submission has a lot, more, a, a, a lot more fuel for fighting power than in other areas of life. You come home, you want to veg, the kids need to get a bath, the kids need to go to bed, food's got to be cooked. Paul says it's impossible unless the Spirit of God helps you into a non-self-centered way of living. A happy marriage is impossible. That doesn't mean... That doesn't mean if you're not a believer, you can't have a happy marriage. What that means is, is if you're not a believer and you have a happy marriage, God is probably helping you and you just don't know it. The principle here is that without God's help, a spirit-filled help to suppress ourselves on behalf of others, it's impossible to have a happy, holy, godly marriage. So several things happen when you get into marriage. Um, Several things happen not long after you get married. One you begin to see the self-centeredness of your spouse. <laughs> You're like, wow, I never saw that in dating, right? Remember, because that's what we said last week, in dating you get a halo and, and wings, and marriage you get a pitchfork and a tail, right? Like, like this is the nature of what happens in marriage. Like, you, first of all, you begin to see the self-centeredness of your spouse. Then your spouse begins to point out your self-centeredness, right? <laughs> and, then, and then when you don't see your self-centeredness anywhere near as the other person, you say, yeah, maybe so, but you don't understand because you do this to me. <laughs> and, and that just often seems to be the progression of how self-centeredness works in marriage. And so you're sure that their self-centeredness is way worse than yours. And so we have a couple options. We have a couple options whenever we come to this understanding. One we decide that my woundedness, my, uh, my, my hurt over your self-centeredness is more important and more fundamental than you having your needs met. And so unless that other person in the relationship um, um, understands that, which they probably won't because they probably are thinking the same way you're thinking, Unless, unless the other person has a different understanding, then what happens is you, you develop this distance in your marriage, in your relationship, and you eventually get to this point where you're like, okay, there's a topic I'm not going to talk about. You don't talk about this topic. We'll coexist together. And there are just certain things that we don't talk about because we know we're going to butt heads. The second possibility in marriage, after you see the self-centeredness, they point it out. You determine that their self-centeredness is more vital than yours. The second thing that can happen is you can be a Christian. <laughs> and you can look at verse 21. And you can decide that this idea of submitting to the other person is vital to a happy, holy marriage. Not only that, but you decide that your selfishness is more serious and more severe than their selfishness and their needs. And so you decide, I'm going to focus on me. Um, I'm going to love the sinner and hate my own sin. And so in marriage, when two people do this, one pastor says, when two people begin to function this way in a marriage, something extraordinary happens. He goes on to say, even when only one person in the marriage acts this way, that even a good marriage can happen. There's a third possibility, though. One of you decides, I'm going to be more serious about my sin than I am about yours. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to um, humble myself under the mighty hand of God. 
You decide, it's my selfishness I'm going to work on. That's difficult for some of us, but typically what happens when even one person in a marriage relationship decides to take that route, things begin to change. Typically, it's the woman. Typically, it's the wife. And the man typically says, um, because our greatest struggle as men is pride. Women's greatest struggle is insecurity. And so our pride is usually the last thing to fall. But when wives begin to serve their husbands, what happens is the walls begin to fall. And so we understand that Jesus didn't just say, hey, married people, here's a principle for you. Jesus actually modeled this for us. The night before Jesus went to the cross, remember what happened? He's in the upper room. They're sharing a meal together, and Jesus gets down on one knee. He takes a tub of water and a towel, and what does he do? He begins to do what? Begins to wash the disciples' feet. Like, I don't know if you ever thought about this. Like, for a germaphobe like me, I'm like, oh, wow, that, no, not happening, right? Like, think about this. First century Open-toed sandals, like, like we didn't yet have street sweepers. I think that's a modern invention by municipalities to raise money. They didn't have street sweepers back then. Like, like think, like, like just imagine like donkeys and animals walking through the same streets, peeing and pooping everywhere. Like your feet are walking the same. This is a dirty job that Jesus is doing. It's humiliating. And the Son of God decides he's going to take off his garments of glory. He's going to lay aside his power his right to rule, he's going to clothe himself in garments of shame so that he can wash them in his blood. It's an incredible example to the disciples because of what's going to happen next. It's also an incredible example to us. Can I say this to you? If you read verse 22, you're like, see, see, that's what the church believes. They're trying to suppress women. Verse 25, see, see, this feminist movement, they're trying to suppress men. Like, like, we, like this is what the church believes. Listen to me. Husbands, whatever power you have, use it to serve your wife. Wives, whatever power you have, use it to serve your husbands. And that's the biblical principle. Verse 21 says that we're, when we're in all of the grace of God, we submit to one another. Here's the point Paul's trying to make. Let me summarize this whole thing. Here's the point that Paul's trying to make in these few verses together. The point that he wants to make is that the power in marriage is learning to wash the feet of another sinner. The power in marriage is learning to wash the dirty, disgusting, sinful feet of someone else in marriage. That's the dirty work. That's the hard work in marriage. Last week, if you missed last week, you really need to listen to the podcast because it set this whole idea up. From the enlightenment on, we have this idea that the meaning of life is our own self-fulfillment, our own self-advancement, our own self-actualization. Scripture says that that's a bunk idea. That's a bunk idea because where you end up when you practice that idea is actually you have this unrealistic idealism about a partner or you have this, this, uh, these, this pessimism about marriage that it can never be good. The alternative is to go low. The way up is to go down. So let me try to make this, this, this very applicable today and, and very personal this week, all right? I want to make this tangible to you. Um, I believe there's one question that you can ask your spouse, you can ask your boss, you can ask your kids, you can ask your friends that I believe will begin to transform every relationship you have in your life, not just your marriage. And this is the question. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? That's the specific application of serving one another. Men, can I just, just address you just for a moment, okay? Okay. Um, 
What if you thought about this every time you walked in the front door? What if you thought about this um, every time you got home from work, every time you're tired, every time you want to go somewhere different to eat, every time she wants to watch Downton Abbey, you want to watch The Walking Dead? What, what if you actually, I mean, verbally ask your spouse, what can I do for you? Um, my wife has been gone for four weeks. Help me, Jesus. I'm almost to the finish line, all right? She comes home on Tuesday, and it's going to be a glorious reunion. Amen. Praise the Lord. But, but so we've been apart for four weeks. And, um, and so this week I was preaching at a camp to about 1,800 kids in New Mexico. And uh, on, on like Wednesday of this week, I realized two and a half hours before the worship service um, that the message I had been planning to preach for several weeks was actually the same message that I preached there two years ago. And I'm like, and a lot of the same people keep coming back to the camp. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't preach the same message um, that I preached two years ago. So I, later on, I text her, I'm like, yeah. She's like, how's the day? I'm like, it's going great. I had a change my message. It was a little stressful two and a half hours before the worship. 1,800 kids in here. I had to do something different. And I, I don't want to tell you what she said, but she just sent this text back to me that was so encouraging. It was just, I mean, just in such humility. She knows men's greatest struggle is pride. We want to be told, good job. And she sent this text back to me that was so encouraging. We got this um, email this week, our pastors did. We sort of laughed about it. Uh, Story City was voted uh, best place to worship in Burbank in 2017, which is really cool. And, uh, and so I sent, uh, I, I sent my wife this text and screenshot. I said, isn't this funny, you know? And, and, and she, I don't want to tell you what she said, but she sent this text back to me. And it was so uplifting, so encouraging. I'm so proud of you and to be a part of this, to be the wife of a pastor at this church. My goal this week, there are a few men in my life who have the opportunity to ask me any question they want. I wanna give you the opportunity next week, next Sunday, you've gotta come back. Next Sunday, you have the opportunity to ask me this question. Did you ask your wife this week, what can I do for you? Now don't ask me tomorrow because she didn't get back till Tuesday. But you can ask me next Sunday because that's my goal this week. I, I gotta be honest with you, my wife does this way better than I do. Way better than I do. Men, what if we ask our wives this question? What if we ask this question about vacation? What if we ask this question about sex? What, what if instead of being disengaged from my family, I decided to assume the role of spiritual headship in this family and I decided I'm actually going to be a leader? Here's why. Because men are notorious. Men are notorious for being complacent about taking the initiative when it benefits somebody else. But we're exuberant, we're excited, we're passionate about taking initiative when it benefits ourselves. What if this week I said, I'm gonna be the spiritual leader in my home. You're passionate about your job. You're passionate about your team. <laughs> but the family is on autopilot. One servant, I mean, one pastor said the definition of a servant leader is taking initiative for the benefit of others. You're like, yeah, but I'm the king of the family. <laughs> See, verse 25, I'm the king of my family. Let me say something to you. Yes, you do wear a crown. But the first crown that you as a husband wear is a crown of thorns. You have the responsibility to serve your wife. Ladies, can I ask you a few questions? What if you ask your husband this week, what can I do for you? Can I tell you what most of them are gonna say? <laughs> Nothing. No, I'm good. I'm self-sufficient. I got this, but thanks for asking. Can I say this to you wives? This can transform your marriage. It can be the kick in the pants, the encouragement your husband needs to be the leader in the home. 
And what if you're, how you related to your husband was in such a way that you built him up to be the man that God created him to be? What if you spoke about him to others that honored him in a way that God would ask you to do in Proverbs chapter 31 and the Shulamite maiden did? How can you treat him on his day off when he comes home? Some of you ladies would say, and I, I understand this, I'm not, I'm not downplaying this and I'm not downgrading your scenario or your circumstance. I would respect my husband if he would not be so lazy and he would be the leader in my home. Look, if, if Laura stood up here on this stage today, here, I'm confident this is what she would say to you. You see the best side of Matt. You don't always see every side of Matt. You see the best of him. You don't always see the rest of him. And she would tell you, I decide to serve my husband, not because of those things, but because I'm in awe and fear of Christ who asked me to serve my husband. Ladies, what if you asked this about sex? What if you asked, um, my wife went to a conference one time, there was the two of us, we had pastors in one room, the wives um, went uh, into another room, they did their thing, I have no idea what, pamper, whatever it was, us. we were doing this. And so she came, she told me this two, like two years later. Hey, remember that conference? Yeah, I remember so-and-so's wife? Yeah, she stood up in that conference, there was like 50, 50 wives. She stood up in that conference and she told all the ladies in there, I have never once denied my husband sex when he asked. I'm like, well, praise the Lord. What if you ask this question about sex? What if you ask this question when your husband came home? What if it was less about your needs and more about his needs? Because you know, at the same time, he's thinking the exact same thing. Teenagers, I told you I had a question for you. <laughs> Teenagers, what if you go home today? Not today, your parents know that I ask you to do this. Tomorrow, you walked in the kitchen, you look at your mom or your dad and you said, what can I do for you? Better yet, whenever your parents have friends over, you walk in the room and they're together and you're like, hey mom, can I do anything for you? And so they'll fall out when they come to, they're gonna do anything for you, I promise you, right? They may even buy you a car, right? I promise you, this one question, what can I do for you? When this question gets asked over and over and over again, can I make a promise to you? It changes things. The essence of the gospel, and the gospel is demonstrated. There's a great example of the gospel in their home, in our jobs, their marriages, family, friends. It changes things. The crazy thing is Jesus washed the feet of those who would betray him, but the reality was later on, those, the same disciples would follow Jesus to the bitter end close with this. The church I came from where Jake is and David and Abby, um, I was there for nine years serving a great student ministry and led the student ministry there for nine years and had a phenomenal time. We would often bring in interns seven at a time for one year to two years. Our specific goal was to help raise the next generation of student ministry leaders. They would finish with us. We would launch them to a new, their very first student ministry job. And whenever they came in in the first week or two weeks, we would always train them on these campus ministry principles because it was part of who we are, that we wanna show up on campus because that's where students are. And when we show up, we're not there to take, we're there to give, it's just who we are. We carried that principle over into our church here. 
And so the principle that we would teach interns was every time you walk on campus, it was a whole strategy called the funnel principle for campus ministry. I actually trained my interns on it. I had intended to write a book on it. And one of my interns took the idea and he wrote the book on it. I was so mad. And so we trained them on these principles. The question you always ask every time you step on campus, everybody you see, the front desk person, the principal, assistant principal, the head coach, every person you see, what can I do for you? 98% of the time, no idea. Nah, I'm good. Then we had to get to this point where we're like, okay, you need to suggest something. I can clean the locker room. I can, I can clean the toilets. I can pick up the trash. I can lead a leadership study. I can, whatever you need, what can I do for you? So what happens is when you continually ask that question on a high school campus, th- there, here's, the, here's the progression. It goes from skepticism to like, um, like I'm not sure, what, 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 what could you do again? To, hey, um, could you show up uh, here at practice every single week and just bring some drinks and encourage guys? Then can you, can you lead a pre-game uh, meal every single week? Bring your own volunteers, encourage our guys to, um, hey, could you show up on Tuesdays and lead a Bible study where a coach says, not just, hey, go if you want to. He stands up on Tuesday afternoon in practice and says, you need to go to Bible study every single week. So the progression finally ends at the place where two players' parents die in the same day. The head coach calls you and says, I need you here today. You stand on a stage and you preach the gospel to the entire team and the entire community because you started with a question. And the question was, what can I do for you? It changes things. Will you ask that question this week? I challenge you to say it once a day for the next seven days to your family, your roommate, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your boss. Say it with me now. What can I, say with me, what can I do for you? Do me a favor. If you're here with your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, roommate, if you're sitting by somebody you don't know, don't do it. Look at them right now and just say it. Just look at them. I'm dead serious right now where you are. If you're, look at them and say, what can I do for you? Say it to them right now. I know this is awkward. It's intended to be. Say it right now. What can I do for you? Now look at me. Look at me. And I'm done. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Did you feel that? We call that fear. Fear like, like, oh my gosh, if I actually have to ask this, I'm afraid I may lose a little bit of myself. I may not get my needs met. Can I say to you, welcome to the faith. Fear is a natural part of the Christian faith. Submit yourselves to one another in fear of Jesus Christ. But I'm scared. What if I ask this question and uh, what if I ask this question and they take advantage of me? They probably will. But can I say something to you about fear? Most of the fears we have never come to fruition. Some of you say, if I do this, they're gonna take advantage of me. Nothing will ever change. That may happen. But, but here's one of the biggest things we believe about how relationships change. We, we believe this idea that relationships change and people change best whenever we pay them back. You hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you. So that you'll remember, don't ever hurt me again. Newsflash, gospel grace. <laughs> gospel grace. The gospel secret is that grace is the most powerful change agent on the planet. It's how I changed. The kindness of God led me to repentance. That's the potential to change your relationship as well. Some of you have a fear like if I if, if I submit myself then I'll never be happy again. 
Happiest person who ever lived was Jesus. He spent his time washing people's feet, dying for sinners. Happiest person who ever lived. There's joy in walking like Jesus and with Jesus. And listen to me, you will never experience that joy, that happiness, and that holiness as long as you're the king or the queen and the defender of your tiny, cold, dark, self-centered kingdom. Let it go. There's a different way, the gospel way. Submit yourself, humble yourself in the mighty hand of God. At the right time, he will exalt you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. It's powerful, effective. God, I'm not unaware today that there are marriages in this room that are suffering and struggling. There are people wondering if this can ever be a reality in my life. Jesus, by the spirit of the living God, which is the requirement to submitting, would you just speak deeply and intimately to people in this room that need to hear that? especially those who have that feeling of fear when they looked across the aisle, looked at the person beside them and said, what can I do for you? Wondering if this could ever be effective. Jesus, by the Spirit of God, will you convince us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.